If the Jesuits resist the Portuguese, then the Jesuit order will be expelled from Portugal. And if Portugal, then Spain, France, Italy, who knows? If your order is to survive at all, Father, the missions here must be sacrificed. What were they saying? They said they didn't want to go back to the forest because the devil lives there. They want to stay here. And what did you say? I said I'd stay with them. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Ryan. How are you? Just all right. Aren't you feeling holy and spiritual and enlightened and, and perhaps even divine? Hmm? Now that you mention it, yeah, I guess. Now that I mention it, yeah, I guess. I'm feeling a bit holy. I, I'm feeling a bit blasphemous for my want of just <laughs> slaughtering people. I thought you said blessed. I feel blessed and blasphemous <laughs> as well. But we are Spit and Polish Presents because we are both spitting young gentlemen and we both happen to be Polish. Our familial roots are from the most Catholic country in Europe. Is that true? Are they the most Catholic country in Europe, even over the Italians? Even over the Vatican, because the Vatican's really small. Well, yes, in, in comparison of numbers, I guess. Even over Italy. I think so. What's happening? Is there just less people in Italy? I guess... Or are they just losing their faith? I guess the Polish people just care more. When you think of Pol- when you think of uh, Catholic Europeans, it's usually Italy and Ireland that are like the embodiment. They're the vocal ones, but they they they're generally better at English. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true or not. I guess the Irish are, but the Italians, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was going to question you. It's like, oh yeah, the Italians, their first language, English, of course. No, we are both here to talk about a movie that has come recommended. Here on the podcast, we have our show Pictures Pow Wow, where we do just that. We look at pictures in our powwow and we talk about movies. And the recommendation cycle goes Bartek one week, and then the week after that, it's myself. And the week after that, it is you, the listening people. That's right. You can message us. You can email us. You can hit us up with suggestions for movies and we put it into a list and this week we have a movie that was indeed recommended by the listening people Bartek who recommended the movie and what film did they select we've got another recommendation from Maciek my stepbrother and uh, the film is the 1986 uh, I think it was British film The Mission it has a lot of uh, British talent or UK talent in it. It has Liam Neeson and Jeremy Irons. So The Mission, 1986, starring, as I just said, Jeremy Irons, Liam Neeson, and more importantly, Robert De Niro. They put his name at the front like he's the lead of the movie, which mm, I guess. Mm. I feel like it's Jeremy Irons, but also... It's kind of equal. It takes with a them. little while for him to enter the picture. Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he also exits the picture. But if the listening people have not seen the mission, I would suggest that you do. It is a film based on historical events. Quotations. I think the opening says that it is a true story. So it didn't even use the B word. Based. Yes, but there's things that apparently. 
in history say otherwise. But this is a tale about some Jesuit priests who are helping out and converting some natives in South America to the great ways of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And wouldn't you know it, there is some grand politics beyond this mission between Spain and Portugal that makes the, 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 the rights to the land that this mission is on swap hands. And so where does it leave the church? The church has to make a decision about the mission. Do they surrender it and let the Portuguese take it and turn these poor natives into slaves and or just outright massacre them? What What's going to go on? And that is the struggle on the overall plot face of it. But really, it's a story about these Jesuits and them having to go up against whether it is more in line with the word of God to be pacifists in this or to directly fight back. And it's a very compelling story. So if you have not seen it, recommend that you do, because now we're going to get into more details of the story. And your stepbrother recommended this, and so I want to know your relationship with the film. Have you seen this before? I have. So literally first episode that we did this year, Tears of the Black Tiger, um, I brought it up uh, for in an indirect reason. We were teaching our friends from the last Best B5 podcast uh, ben and Steve about the Australian phrase uh, "dog act," <laughs> and they, one of them, had this response. It was like, you know, they could just be making that up, and you know, we'll just buy it because you know we're American. We don't know if they're telling the truth or not. And to lend it some credence, I gave the iconic dog act story that I knew, which was related to this film. Um, and I think I can guess what your history with this film is based on how that conversation went. Ryan and editing can honestly just copy paste that over this but uh <laughs> basically i was trying i was telling the story and i was trying to recount like what the film was and i was like mm. oh it's this robert nearfield called the mission i was turning to you like that that's what it was called right and you were like i i don't know you you did describe it pretty vaguely you're like there's this movie with de niro in it it's and like i'm like uh -huh, uh -huh, it's like uh -huh. and it's a religious film because i watched tied it. to a cross do you remember this yeah. and i'm like i don't know this well in the in the episode i actually said raft so, oh, there you go. There you go. I was. I should have said cross because it was a cross, and it wasn't even De Niro. Yeah, you you really sold me down the river. Mm. It was two thousand nine, man. It was like fourteen, fifteen years ago. <laughs> it was an innocent time. Innocent time, and but honestly, that opening is all I remembered from the film. I honestly am questioning, like, did we really watch this over like multiple religion classes? Because I only really remember that first scene. It's a very vivid scene. It's, it's, it's what the visceral, poster is. It's striking. It's what yeah. the poster is. And it gives you a frame of reference for what we can expect going down the line of the narrative. And it doesn't actually go the, that way. You're, you're thinking you're going to perhaps watch a story about some Jesuits having to fight back against the natives, against these indigenous folks, and they're going to be met with violence and yeah, that uh, they upheaval. They might be the antagonists. Yeah, but instead that they skip that completely. Uh, they go way past that and instead make it even bigger in scope about the church and these waging wars and disputes between two great powers in a land that they should not be in at all. And 
that was fascinating to me because I have no familiarity with the film. I have not seen this before. I have not heard of this before. When people go over the works of any of the actors that are in this, I never hear The Mission be brought up. No one is ever saying Robert De Niro in The Mission. No one is ever saying Jeremy Irons in The Mission. And so I don't know if that's just somehow it has passed me by, but I enjoyed this a lot. I I had a great time with it. And I really liked the ambiance that we were living in. And This actually felt reminiscent in vibes and construction to Amadeus. We did Amadeus a little while back, in which you're expecting this big, grand tale, but a lot of it is told through visuals and music, and the performances and the acting is very good, but it's in service of that stuff more so than you walking away saying Jeremy Irons gave this stellar performance in which he fully embodied this character. He did that, but more so in aid of the the mood that this is capturing. And I felt the same way about Amadeus in which we walked away saying like, you you walk in, like you go in thinking that you're going to get this type of biopic, this retelling of a true story. And then it goes in a different direction. It has a different angle to take. And that's the same here in which the angle that it takes is very quiet. And a lot of it is them just physically doing things. And the music is the main character of the story in my eyes. That's the thing that I will think about the most is the presence of the score is just it's not overwhelming. It's just it is it is just constantly there. And even when it is taken away, you feel its absence. The, the, it's at the forefront of the mind. At least it was in my particular experience viewing it. So for you, you do not have too much of a recollection outside of that stunning opening sequence. So what did you think of the mission? I liked parts of it. Um but I think that those parts are better than the whole. It's not as good as the. It's not the sum of the parts is whatever the saying is. <laughs> uh, it's not as good as the sum of its parts. Okay. Yeah. There are all these things that I really enjoy. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the visuals. I enjoyed the acting performances. But as a whole, I found it kind of dry and slow and. Even though I was listening to everything, I was following along, I just it, it just felt like it dragged on for me okay. quite a bit. I think it could have been shorter. Oh, wow. Bartek's whipping out the card and playing it Yu-Gi-Oh style. It could have been shorter. <laughs> you know that this is a film that got under Bartek's skin in a way when he, he says it could have been shorter because <laughs> really do you actually say that? That's me who says that. And then I have to provoke you if you ever thought on it. It's those films. I always think of you with the neon demon where it's like it could have been shorter. <laughs> but okay, fascinating. I was expecting you to like this a lot because this does hit some of those things that we get a kick out of on this podcast when we're having to go through a film and i it's a religious movie as well this Mm. is obvious this is a catholic film this is very catholic but it's also doing what any good religious movie should do which is examining the values of said religion and of the organization that uh that puts it out into the world. The Catholic Church is an entity with a long 
running history, and it has internal politics that has bled out into the many different societies, and it has had major ramifications on people. And so you look at this story, and it's actually really cool to me that it is about that, but you, you're you expecting it to be far more small and intimate and quiet because it is presented that way. You, at least when I was going in, I, again, knew nothing of the film. I thought this was going to be a group of monks slash priests getting in over their heads with these quote-unquote savages. Mm. And I did not know if we were going to go the way of the natives are actually the ones that we should feel for and we should look at Jeremy Irons and his group as these naive colonists and they are giving their values on people who do not need them because they have their own. Or if we were going to go in the way of your dances with wolves type thing in which Jeremy Irons and his group are going to impart their ways upon these native people, but oh, they're going to learn the ways of the natives as well, and it will be this beautiful concoction of peace and understanding and love. And then it pivots, with Robert De Niro is now introduced, and it is going to be a tale of redemption and spirituality for him. But then it actually pivots again and goes into this more grand-scale thing about these these warring countries and the politics and the divisions and just the Catholic Church putting on this face of care and love, but it's all bureaucracy. Mm, there's some good lines there that really capture that. Like there was one where it talked about like surgeons, you know, they cut off limbs and uh, I was going to cut off this limb, but I was blown away by how beautiful it was or something like that. And we have a character open this, uh, dictating a letter. And I didn't really know how he, that character, was going to be brought into the story. But once he was brought in and they revealed his position in uh, the Catholic Church, it made me look back at the framing device really differently and have a bit more of a uh, pitiable look at this man because... There's obviously some heartbreak and some guilt to his narration that we see in the beginning, but we don't have the given context for it. And I assumed that it was going to be a classic case of this is him relaying to us, the audience, and to the higher-ups at the church, this tragic story about these Jesuits who met a nasty end because they were just too pig-headed and naive. And Although that is true, the personal accountability that this man had for all of that and the the difference of how these these Jesuits met their fate to what I was expecting going in. I thought it was going to be what Jeremy Irons was doing at the beginning, which is they're burying the man that got thrown down the river. And he felt bad because he sent that man to his death. And so now I must go and take his place and try and put right this this indignity. And I assumed that this man dictating the letter, he was just a higher-up version of that. Like, oh, I sent these men to this jungle. Right, right. And, oh, now look how it happened. But no, once they physically brought him into the story and he's this pompous guy with the wig and the red and the cross and the jewellery and all of that, and he's sitting higher than everyone else... 
I just salivated going, oh, you're even shittier than than I was giving you credit for. <laughs> and yet, to to really go over it, the actor who plays that role never leans too heavy in the mustache twirling, pinky in the air, snobby man. He has the he, he's pitch perfect in just having a, an amount of detachment from the humanity of the situation that he is having to make a decision about. What was his role again? He was a, I don't know if he was like a cardinal or, or something, but he was like a higher ranking yeah. uh, member of the church. Him. But He was the one that was basically like mediating all the all the different factions. Like, well, you need yeah. to apologize to this guy, yeah. And he was the one who had to deliberate and make the decision of yeah. what to do. He was interesting. He He... Very much felt like he was in the middle of a lot of things. Um, he he didn't lean too far one way or the other, um, and it really yeah, propelled the drama. He never came in with an attitude of judgment. I never got the sensation that he has already made up his mind. He straight and- up said, yeah, like, well, if I have to make a decision this big, I should see it with my own eyes. And he took in everything as as wholeheartedly as one could, and yet he still made a choice that was horrific, that led to mass murder and a a genocide. They destroyed an entire village of people. And he, (laughs) just to skip ahead to the end, or the near the end, him talking to those other guys saying, was the slaughter really necessary? And hearing these half-hearted excuses for why it was and he looks out the window and he has tears forming in his eye in his eyes i just i found this very powerful as as a movie and uh i'm always open as are you to religious stories in media it's just how you tell them yeah we've done both versions of the religious tale of one that's as high end as this in which it is using the tricks of the trade to elevate this and not just feel like religious exploitation and crap and just propaganda. One that is critical, but also understands that faith has a real-life purpose. And we've had the opposite end with something like Meteor Apocalypse, which is a cynical, (laughs) horrible, garbage piece of religious propaganda and in that case it wasn't even committed to being religious propaganda until like near the end and then it just shrugged and said oh well who cares god is great bye and you're like wait what and so i'm always open to it if you can tell it in a in a way that is cinematic i'm always interested to see how it's represented even though it didn't end up being as focal as it seemed back when we did the film saved um, I remember I was watching it with that like lens of like, okay, what are they going to say about religion? And it wasn't really anything one way or the other about like if it's good or if it's bad. It was more about uh, looking at the type of religious communities that do exist and making a comedy out of that. And I was really impressed at like, okay, they kind of didn't need to go into a deeper theological path for that one. They They kind of used something a bit more familiar and it was creative and pleasant. It's more of uh, an examination, saved, as is the mission, of not the religion itself, but the people that Mm. run those 
strands of the religion, the hierarchies, the structures, and the people who thrive and die in them. Especially when they have a stake in like the country's affairs. And you can say religion is useless and God doesn't exist, and you can say the opposite. You can say God exists and he does this and judgment of that, but what uh, this the mission is actually talking about is when we are left to our own devices, many of us would pick cruelty and perhaps even apathy if it benefits us. And how does someone who is a member of a, a religious organization like the Catholic Church reconcile that? How can you reconcile the flippant injustice of fellow human beings, people who were created by God in your viewpoint, how can you just shrug that off and still call yourself a person of faith? And when we zoom in on our actual uh, on our actual Jesuits that are in the middle of all of this, there's a bit of that debate as well in which Jeremy Irons is wanting to do the the holy man pacifist approach of we don't fight back, it's barbaric and wrong. But Robert De Niro is also countering that by showing that there are many points in the Bible and in in in, in history that it has been necessary to fight back, that you have to save lives. You actually actually have to try. Mm. A little boy is struggling over here to get up because he's been shot. I'm going to go over and help that little boy get up, even if it means that it could cost me my own life instead of the Jeremy Irons approaches, which is we all hold hands and sing. And that was really, to me, just eye-opening because... You want to side with Jeremy Irons, you want him to be right, but Mm. when you actually see the carnage unfold, the film doesn't really focus on him anymore. It's focusing on Robert De Niro and everything he's having to do and how he's having to juggle all of these things. And when it cuts back to Jeremy Irons, he's just slowly walking forward until he is dispensed with, and the film does not have a loving look at his death like it does with Robert De Niro. Because I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think the film sides with Robert De Niro. I think it sides with his point of view way more because it does have a way, it does focus on his demise in a way that is far more attentive. While Jeremy Irons, he dies and it's almost documentarian like where that happened and we move on. Yeah, you were kind of getting into what I was going for when you had their demise, that final, well, the climactic scene it really brought back and slapped you in the face with this is a true story thing. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, it doesn't have a rosy, happily ever after, um, you know, or moral, well, there is moral messages to get out of it, but it's not that kind of story. It doesn't leave you happy. Yeah. You see Robert De Niro having been shot and hanging on for dear life as he looks at his, you know, mentor's counterpart, uh, Jeremy Irons, walking He's still holding on. Then once Jeremy Irons is unceremoniously killed off, Rob De Niro soon just drops and follows along. And that's the end of our two lead characters, I guess you'd call them. Yes, and it does not leave you feeling good. 
about humanity. I remember going back to the point that you were saying about you know whether the film takes one side or the other. I think it is a little bit in the middle, but certainly when you have that final scene where Jeremy Irons and all the people are walking forward. One thing that I kept grasping onto is there were points where some of them were being killed off as they were walking and the others were like not really reacting to it. Like they're so determined. And mm. it's this weird middle ground, this, this weird two way thing where, um, yeah, you can see the strength of their determination, but also the kind of coldness of the fact that they're not reacting to people younger than them right next mm -hmm. to them falling. Like it's a division flinching. because when we cut to Robert De Niro, it's the exact opposite. Everyone is hands-on running around doing their best to help one another out, mm -hmm. yet it is costing them their lives very much so. And on the just pure face value, you're watching religious people outright murder other human beings. You're seeing Robert De Niro throw a spear at a guy, slit a person's throat, stab them, shoot people. And you have to contend with that. Like you have to wrestle with that imagery in its own right of a, a religious figure being able and willing to kill. And that is what the the argument is between him and Jeremy Irons. It's like, we shouldn't be doing that. Like, that's not what this is about. We have a certain obligation and it's just, it is with, so much to take in. I'd say with what, with, uh, with Robert, with Robert De Niro, um, it was a bit more plausible because of, you know, his backstory and what he'd gone to up to that point. I had that a bit more with uh, Liam Neeson, who mm. was also in the river with Robert De Niro's side and yeah, seeing him kill people when he previously was, you know, a bit more like Jeremy Irons, that was... Oh, I totally agree. Why it's challenging with Robert De Niro is he wants, as does Jeremy Irons, his redemption. He is a man that was brought into this order because he killed his own brother, a man he loved, and he regrets that 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 act of violence, and yet mm. he has to live with it. But in his final moments, he has to go back to that man. Yeah, he has to go back to being the man who stabs people to death. But this time, he's fighting for a purpose. He's killing for for something higher than himself, rather than just pure revenge mode, like he did with his own brother, where he just stabbed his own brother because he was jealous mm. or had some agenda behind it. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm saying it's tragic, but not shocking for me. It, no, it, it it is, but it's it's tragic, yes, but it is not shocking either. You can tell this is going to happen, but still, you're you're you. This is a film about watching the descent of a religious order because the higher ups at the Catholic Church abandoned them. Mm and left them to the wolves. And then after it's all said and done, they can have the, the higher-ups at the Catholic Church can have tears in their eyes and say, oh, what a sad thing this is. But that doesn't make a difference as we cut back over to the children that are left alive rowing off in their boat to who knows where. The Catholic Church can sit in their chairs and drink their wine and talk with the people who did the massacre and postulate if it was the right thing and feel sorry for themselves, but it doesn't change the fact that all of these people were murdered, their village was burnt to the ground, and we see it was for nothing. These are the children that remain are walking around picking up whatever's left, and then they just sail off. They just row away down the river 
It's not like that village was now captured and now it's being used by the Portuguese. They just rolled in there and killed everyone and left. I like that they had that line throughout the film. It's like, oh, it's it's a community like at the top of the waterfall. Like, mm. you know, no one really goes there and it really leads, you know, all the way back to this. What's the feeling of what was the point of all this? It was, we can do it. That's the reason. We can. They're lesser than us. And so we take what is easy to grab and they won't be able to beat us. So we can just, but you rewind back. How are the Jesuits any different? They conquered the land. They went up there to convert these people to their religion. When they weren't asking for that, we see at the beginning that the beginning they killed the, someone yeah. because they don't want it. And yet, at some point, Jeremy Irons has wooed them and 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 helped them go over. But also, we see, thanks to the Catholics coming up there and saying, "We're not going to help you." There's a great amount of them that say, "Well, fuck your religion, then. We don't give a shit. You've let us down. We will fight." I'm a king, by the way. You have a king. I'm a king. Why don't you respect my kingdom? Oh, that's right. It doesn't serve your purpose anymore. I loved that. I mm. loved that. The tenseness of Jeremy Irons every time he had to translate a line, there was always a bit of a pause and then he had to say it and both sides were unhappy with everything he said. <laughs> so I want to hear a little bit more from you, the, the elements of the film that did not gel with you. You talk about the pacing, that it kind of dragged on a bit so i just want to hear some more of that from you like what were the things that stood out to you that were thing like that were moments or choices or just sequences that you were not really gravitating towards i guess this might lean back into i've had it with some films where we didn't have that much dialogue obviously a lot of it was working here where you know, we visually see our characters doing a lot of things, um, ruminating. Um, I guess I just felt that, you know, with this being a biographical film uh, and these characters, I assume, being, you know, real people that were there or maybe at least based on them, mm. um, we might have a little bit more, I guess a look at who these characters are. Like I've talked about how I had that effect with Liam Neeson, where it's like, I'm seeing this religious man now kill people and then die and float down a river and with a bunch of others and fall down the waterfall. But I like, didn't know his name. I didn't really know anything about him. Every time I saw him I was just like, okay, there's the Liam Neeson character. But yeah, I, I didn't know much about him uh, with Robert De Niro. It takes a little while for him to come in, but, Immediately, you get a lot uh, about him because you see, mm -hmm. you know, his relationship with a former lover, his brother, um, the personal struggle and the redemption that he quickly goes towards. He already knows the Jeremy Irons character and that tribe. Yep, he's got a backstory with Jeremy Irons, and a, they have a lot of interaction with each other that really, you know, solidifies their relationship and who they are. And a lot of this also applies kind of to Jeremy Irons because of you know the performance. You know, you believe that this is a guy that can lead a group, um, who can uh, properly institute the mission. Mm. Um, so I like those two characters a lot. Um, I just, mm, 
it's it's hard. It, it it goes back to what I was saying before about how I like all of these elements, but when it all just comes together, I feel like I should like this film a little bit more. Can I throw something at you? And I'm wanting to admit that this maybe is a bit of a um, a leading thing, but mm-hmm. if he wasn't played by Liam Neeson, that that character, yeah, would you? factor it in as much because he is such a recognizable face but in my eyes this is so early in his career that his role was just a a secondary player like i look at him although he does good things on the same level as the portuguese minister guy and that's a fair point yeah and i know i actually know the portuguese minister guy as an actor too so i was actually like yeah it's that guy um but we are mainly focusing on three people we are focusing on Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, and the man who has to make the decision overall. Yes. Those are the three. And I understood all of them, And but this isn't a film outside of De Niro that's getting neat, like getting down and dirty in their lie, lives outside of this, outside of this conflict. We know who Jeremy Irons is via his values, what he stands by his convictions and his religious fervor and ideology but do we know if he what his life was like outside of this particular set of circumstances not really and same with the man who is here to make the call the uh i guess you would say he's like the pontius pilate like figure where he is he has the burden on his on his shoulders but he, in the end he makes the call to in that case, with uh, Pontius Pilate to let Jesus die, yeah. and in this case, it's to let this village die. And we know him via the same way Jeremy Irons, and also via that parallel of religious story, but also just he is the man with the ability to make the call, and he chooses incorrectly. But everyone else is in the way that mo- many films do. They just serve their their function. We don't get to know any character who is there's no there's no character who's from the tribe. Yeah, that was another one. <laughs> they you may recognize some of them, like the one who declares himself king. So when he dies, it means something, or you may recognize some of the children, but they're not characters either. Because really it's a conflict between these three individuals who should all be on the same page. They're all Catholics. They're, they're all, all Catholic. Jesuits. They all believe in God, yeah. But they all have a difference of opinion of what that belief means and how you institute it. I thought that was the the real meat and potatoes of the story. But I I also agree with you in the sense of um, the the Jeremy Irons character. I went in the same direction of if he wasn't played by Jeremy Irons, who I adore. Would I be liking him as much as a character, other than he's virtuous, which inherently you want to side with? Would I be as drawn to him because he is a face I am familiar with, uh, and I he's probably my favorite actor in the movie. Mm. I like him more than De Niro as an actor, but uh, I was contemplating the same thing as I just said to you about Liam Neeson. So I, because he has the potential to be someone that I find more compelling but i i acknowledge right now that i think a a reason that i find him to be a strong character is he is played by an actor that i just adore he's a good actor 
He's a good, and he does a good job here, doesn't he? Mm. You and I have, uh, over the last little while, been seeing Jeremy Irons and a few things here and there. And uh, yeah, movie, we, we, we watched, watched his recent- Oscar-winning performance not too long ago, where he is the embodiment of what you think a Jeremy Irons role is, where he's sleazy and, and upper crusty and just cunning and ruthless. Yeah. And, and in that one, know. and in that one, he really is playing a guy from real life. <laughs> yes, that is true, but. Um, I'm just trying to think of things that I found to be a uh, weakness in this. Oh, audio dubbing stuff was a little distracting. So there's one or two characters, whether there it is the 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 tribes people, or for some reason the was he a Spanish guy who's like I'm not a slaver, like the bold guy, yeah, the guy that was friends with Robert De Niro previously. Um. Because they interacted before. That's why he knows that this guy's a liar. Um, that guy was dubbed over. I don't know if you read any trivia, but he's dubbed over for the entire movie by another actor. And I noticed it immediately. I was like, what is going on here? Mm. This is so bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was my copy or if it was the film itself. There were some, and this has happened a few times with podcasts, where uh, some of the dialogue was much quieter than everything else. It is one of those where quiet dialogue will happen and the music is is the more present thing. I, I also have had that. I think it was the last scene, it might, one of the last scenes between Jeremy Irons and the, um, the Pontius Pilate-esque character yeah. where he they were hanging out at night in the village mm-hmm. with the children and the children and Jeremy Irons had a little back and forth and the guy asked, like, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, if... I can't remember what the children said, but it was something like, uh, will you stand by us? And They won't go into the forest because the devil lives in that's, there. That's it, yeah. And uh, Jeremy Irons' response was, um, and I will stay with them. Like, I had to rewind the film because I did not hear what Jeremy Irons said. <laughs> like, oh, that was a meaningful line. The guy reacted. Let's let's try and listen to what they said. Yeah. Oh, I'm just... Uh... Yeah, bowled over by um, you know, we it's interesting when you you lead in. I was I'm expecting to hear more of like more of an that attitude you came in with of like why this movie just isn't lending. But we're just having such a great time talking about it. I'm like the more I'm talking to you about, I'm like Bartek, how didn't you see that this movie was really good? We're having a great time chatting about <laughs> I, it right now. I was, did you read the Ebert review? I have not read the Ebert review. I've not read any reviews. I read mm. some trivia facts, and that's been mainly what I did because. Honestly, this was a, a a film that really got into my blood, and I just wanted to let it live there rather mm. than look at all the others. And then, obviously, hear from you. So, so what did you find from old uh, Ebert, our good friend? Did he <laughs> did he like it? So the trivia kept saying that he and uh, Siskel gave it two thumbs down. Um, but then his review on his website was like two and a half, which he does out of four, right? So yes. that's like 62%. That seems mm-hmm. relatively thumbs uppy. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it is a funny word, thumbs uppy. Uh, you don't get to use that word a lot. That's true, like 16thly. Um, I, I found myself agreeing with some of the things he was saying, and it was basically also the idea of like when everything's put together, like you kind of struggle to uh, attach yourself to um, some of the elements. Like, a lot of the battle scenes at the end, like, as gripping as a lot of it was, 
it was kind of hard to follow. Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure, like, oh, wait, are they finding the Spanish or are they finding the Portuguese? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, wh- wh- who's this character here? Who's that character there? Um, I think it's clearly this Portuguese because they have the por- I thought it slaves was, so, yeah. fighting for them, yeah, shooting I was, arrows. I was struggling to remember, like, who, who in the film was this, who was that? The, the yeah. Spanish say that they, they, they don't have slaves, but mm. they just buy them off the Portuguese. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, similar to other things I was saying about how, uh, I guess their characterization felt like needed a little bit more. Yeah, this is definitely one where you are going to like it or not if you're wanting them to be more focused on the characters being human rather than a symbol or uh, an ideology or uh, a specific stance. And that's how I looked at at it, where each of these characters were stand-ins for different attitudes and beliefs of how to reconcile such a conflict. Mm. So they were far more of an allegory or metaphor for those type of things. And so they, they, as as, uh, Jared Leto's, the Joker would say, they're an idea (laughs) rather than people. And, I've been like you in this regard when we've watched some movies where it's like, yeah, but I wanted them. I wanted to like them as people more rather than the idea of them. So I understand that detachment. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like I can see both sides. Like earlier, I was tossing up like whether I would criticize or not the fact that none of the natives were characters. Um, I could very easily say like, you know, I you know they didn't have subtitles. We never heard them speak learn english we didn't really get much personally from them whatever we did get translated was literally translated secondary but i think there is a merit to keeping them at a bit of an arm's length because we are following you know the characters who are you know invading their territory invading their lives and applying their own beliefs to them there is a Mm -hmm. merit to us not necessarily knowing them on the same personal level as the characters who can directly communicate with them. It is a deliberate choice. Yes. So I can't necessarily criticize that. No. And I get so annoyed with some online criticism nowadays where it's like, oh, they're not having that. It's like recently uh, Oppenheimer came out and people were really upset that there's no Japanese people in that movie and there's not a Japanese side. It's like, that's not what that story is about. It's a story about the man who made the bomb and like what he has to go through with that. Mm. It's not about the bomb itself even and what it did to the Japanese. It's about the toll it took on that individual. And that's the same with this in which... There's a bit more though, where these do have the 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 traditional owners of the land. These do have the natives. These do have the indigenous people. But we don't get to know them because, in the end, no one got to know them. Jeremy Irons didn't really get to know them. And same with Robert De Niro and the Catholics and the Portuguese and the Spanish. They looked at them and projected their own values onto them or their own needs onto them. They are people who believe in God because I believe in God. And then when that's challenged, when the king of this tribe says, no, we don't believe because you aren't following it up on your end, Jeremy Irons doesn't reconcile that. He doesn't really know what to do with that. He just keeps going on like he has before, hoping that it will work. Mm. But here he is, 
the the village is divided. Half of them are with Robert De Niro fighting and killing and doing what they need to to survive, and the other half is with him singing. And you wonder how much they are aware of what they're doing, or if they are just indoctrinated into what Jeremy Irons wants them to do. It's really challenging stuff, and the, the movie doesn't leave you with a lot of answers. You get the thing at the end in text saying, like, there's still Catholics there, and they're still fighting the good fight, and it just underlines that we haven't changed. Mm. That this cycle of violence and dehumanization and the disregard for others has continued on. And how do you feel about that? Because this also has the ability to uplift you. This can be an uplifting movie if you want it to be, even if it ends tragically. The fact that it it exists is uplifting in its own right because it is an acknowledgement of the horrors that we can inflict upon each other. And for people like me, that actually makes me feel better to know that we are at least acknowledging it and having, having time to reflect on it and hopefully learn from it and move forward. 100% agree, yeah. Rather than saying, I only like to watch happy movies because they make me feel good. I don't like to watch stories that make me sad. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I will tell you this. When this was in the list of things, I remembered you talking about it at the start of the year. And I did not want to really watch it because it sounded like a, a boring religious movie historical mm, and I don't even know how to say this but I went oh this sounds like a Bartek movie <laughs> and sometimes a Bartek movie is not for me but I'm I'm actually astonished that how much I got out of this and how mm. much it just really went in on things that I did not think of and wasn't going to give the film credit for when I heard what we were going to be talking about and so yeah, I, I I do recommend this if people if you not if you have not seen the mission, I say give it a go. This is a movie that um I found rather haunting and challenging and thought provoking. The Vatican has it on their great films list under the category of religion. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Isn't it always fascinating when uh, a movie or a piece of media that is criticizing or even making fun of said organization is heralded by that organization. I always think of Blackadder being a show that the royal family loves to bits and it's like do you know <laughs> they do know but it's like do you know that they hate you but <laughs> yeah I, I heartily recommend it. I just want to hear from you before hearing if you want to recommend it. recommend it. The music what did you think? Yeah, it was good. It the cinematography and the music really are. It's you said it yourself. Its own kind of character. It is gorgeous to look at. It it complements the music well. The music complements the visuals. It's it's one of the really strong elements of the film. It, it won for cinematography, um, not music. But you know these production elements of the film are top notch. Do you know who did the score? I read their name, but it's escaped my mind. Ennio Marconi, who did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He did a bunch of Sergio Leone movies. He did The Thing. His score was for The Thing that had the rejected music was used for The Hateful Eight, mm -hmm. which I 
think is the only time Quentin Tarantino has used orchestrated music for a score rather than diet, like you know, existing soundtrack instead, um, because you got to use his music, Ennio. But Ennio Morricone, I read, said that this was his favorite score that he did, that this was mm. the one that he was the proudest of. And he had already been of acclaim when you do the score to something like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which has one of the iconic stings of cinema sca- uh, soundtracks and uh, music. Uh, he's already a man of note, but he he did say he was thoroughly disappointed that he didn't win the Oscar this year and that it won against a movie that uh, used a lot of pre-existing music. Yeah, I read that trivia point. So that has been changed now where you have to use 80% original instead of back then it was like 50 to 60%. 60, I think I read, yeah. And um, this is going in a detour now, but uh, you've never seen the film There Will Be Blood, is that correct? No, I've only seen the one scene. Uh, the milkshake scene? Yeah. Okay. Well, the score for There Will Be Blood is one of the best scores ever, but it did not get an Oscar nomination. I do believe that this is the film. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. Uh, Johnny Greenwood did not get Oscar nominated because he had reused some of his own instrumentals okay. from unused score. Like, he had not used it in literally anything. And he was like, oh, I can... And he changed it. He, like, implement, But they were like, nap, sorry, doesn't... Sorry, that's 79% original. And and that is one of the biggest fuck-ups in the Oscars history. People talk about that still. It's like, that is such a fucking bullshit thing. It's like when Saving Private Ryan didn't win Best Picture, but Shakespeare in Love did. It's like, fucking Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> or that... Martin Scorsese, who is very relevant to this I feel like he'd like this film, yeah. Uh, How his first Oscar win was for The Departed, which is a great movie, but it's like, the dude did did Goodfellas, for Mm. fuck's sake. How do you know? And Raging Bull, for fuck's sake. Come on. But do you recommend The Mission? I walked into this episode uh, leaning no. This discussion has warmed me up a little bit on it. I will change it to a yes. Um, it, going back to some of my other like half-hearted yeses, it's like see if this is up your alley. Do you think this is one that you would ever want to be revisiting to see if your opinion will change on it? Because I know we have had discussions similar to this. I, I actually said it earlier: the the Neon Demon, mm. where that has been the case. Where oh well, actually, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of it, there's been something unlocked in the brain where it's like, oh, if I ever rewatch this, I might have a finer appreciation. Do you think that's the case or no? This one, maybe. Maybe. Mm. Now, just to point out some fun little details. So, Mm. there is some dispute about the historical accuracy and that uh, it seems like nowadays it's under the assumption and I think there's more evidence that uh, the the priest just did leave and didn't stay and fight. Okay. Like in this movie's portrayal. So they that abandoned is, them? Yes. Okay. Yes, but the genocide still happened. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I mentioned that guy who got dubbed over. Now, he is a fascinating actor. So he's in, I want to say like nine things in his career. And he is in mostly stuff with Robert De Niro. 
because he was his real estate broker okay. in real life. And Robert De Niro was like, I like you. Let's be in, be in my movies. He is in Goodfellas. He is the guy in Goodfellas who wears the toupee. And he is like the, I can't remember, he's like a salesman, but you see his ads on TV all the time in Goodfellas. He's like the real huckster guy that they have to deal with. And like when they grab him and kill him and, oh no, his wig has come off. And he's great in that movie. I've only seen the one time, so I can't quite yeah. remember, but yeah, it's a good film. In one of his TV ads, it's him jumping into a pool and, and it's like he has to grab his wig and it's very fun. <laughs> and he is a man that was just in a few things because he knows Robert De Niro. Like he was in The King of Comedy. He was in this. He was in Goodfellas. Later on, he was in The Sopranos because he was in Goodfellas. So he Was is, he in Raging Bull? No, no, but he wasn't in everything. But like he was in a handful of things, mainly because Robert De Niro had, he, uh, knew him. And it was like, could you be in my movie? And so that what a weird thing to just have exists. And I don't know how Robert De Niro convinced people. And then the the big thing that I'm surprised we haven't really referenced is Martin Scorsese, I don't know how much you loved this movie, but he basically kind of did this movie called Silence. Do you remember Silence from like a few years? I think it was what he did after Wolf of Wall Street. It is the film about these Jesuit priests, and it's Andrew Garfield and um, Adam Driver are these Jesuit priests that have to investigate what happened to Liam Neeson, and uh, it's kind of like Apocalypse Now meets this movie in a weird way, (laughs) but it's very Catholic, it's very spiritual, and it's, um, I I didn't mind it, Uh, I have to rewatch it again, it's been way too long, but I was watching this going, oh yes. Man Scorsese, baby, he liked this movie. Uh, De Niro's here. We all know he loves De Niro. Uh, and yeah, that it just came to my mind. Uh, also, this is a movie too where you have to accept that some white British guys uh, are good Spanish guys. <laughs> uh, that's one of those things you just have to accept that. Or Portuguese guys. Um, because De Niro, his character is Portuguese. I can't remember. He he was a slave trader. Yeah, Rodrigo might be. But that is the mission. I think we've talked about it pretty well. Uh, Yeah. Fun fact, Robert De Niro was the only person not to get um, dysentery. Oh, yeah, I read that. That's interesting. I I was noticing throughout the film, like, man, they're really in these places and they're getting really dirty. Like, I remember when uh, they cut off Robert De Niro's uh, thing that he was dragging Mm. And like you get so many closes up close ups of his face and it's just like dirt all over his nose and his beard and people are grabbing it and stuff and mm-hmm. it's just like oh wow I wonder how sick that man got and <laughs> turns out he not, was fine he was the one that was fine he was strong he was he was as George Carlin said swimming in the Hudson River so he was all <laughs> immune to everything out there <laughs> so it is your turn now Bartek to recommend a film for us to discuss next time on the podcast. Is it a foreign film time this time? I cannot recollect. No, it is a American uh, oh. choice. I just want to double check quickly. Like, Is the film I chose actually American? Yes, it is. Okay. Bartek's I was having some last-minute anxiety. <laughs> uh, yeah, insecure and anxious. Because it's happened before. I've recommended the film for one of my you know categories, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, shit, Una is not American. Or, yes. oh, shit, uh, 
what was it? Enter the Dragon is a co-American production. That was a weird one. Yeah. So what is up next time on the podcast? So I talked about how this film, The Mission, was one of the films that I watched in year 10 religion class. Oh, have you got another one? And remembered being a bit like, eh. Um, And I figured, why not knock out the other one as well? Okay. (laughs) Um, And I had to look up what the title was because I remembered the premise of it, but not the title. So, uh, funnily enough, you know, this film that we just did, the mission recommended by Maciek, he previously recommended Desperado, Mm -hmm. uh, which starred Antonio Banderas. Mm -hmm. This film also stars Antonio Banderas. So it's a 2001 film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in 2001, Antonio Banderas did three films. He did- Was one of them Shrek 2? No. That was before Shrek. I think that was after Shrek, but before Shrek 2. So it was before Puss in Boots. One of them was uh, the film I'm going to talk about. One of them was Spy Kids. And one of them was, I think it was like an erotic thriller. Okay. So it's like, oh, religious film, kids film, and erotic thriller all in one year. Um, So this film is called, it's from 2001, it's called The Body. Okay. Yep. And it is also a film that I watched in year 10 RE, of Religious Education. The Body. Yep. And it, uh, yeah, so it's also going to be a religious film that uh, looks at some theological perspectives. Okay. I've never heard of it either. And I'm I'm an Antonio Banderas fan. I have seen things of him, so. (laughs) On the poster, he sees something as well. Oh, no. It looks like (laughs) The Sixth Sense. Yeah, kind of. So. We will be talking about The Body next time on the podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. If you want to recommend films to us or you just want to drop us a line, let us know your thoughts, feelings on things that we have discussed, as well as just what's on the brain, you can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. And we can be found on social media under Spit and Polish Presents. We are on Facebook and currently X. X marks a spot. Well, Ryan, you're, you're dating this episode. We don't call it X anymore. Oh, yeah, we call it Y. <laughs> <laughs> Far out, man. What is... I, I, I'll move past it, but what be, a stupid name. It should be Twitter. Yeah, yeah, so silly. But that is it. Thank you all so much for listening, and remember to be kind to each other, or the Catholic Church will come get you, which is a scary statement to say because yeah. they can come get you in many different ways. I, I think the point is if you choose to be the type of person that always chooses kindness, maybe don't ever consider genocide and, as a side thing for your kindness. And never, ever forget that this film was directed and written by the guy who produced the original script for the Super Mario Brothers movie. They saw this film and said, you know, he should do a Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, they they saw, oh, they got in the jungle and they were really sick. They they were really, really foolish to trust that fungus. Wait, wait a second. Trust the fungus. (laughs)